Good morning, everyone. Merry, Merry Christmas. I did check. I wish somebody Merry Christmas about 15 minutes ago, and I said, is it still okay to say Merry Christmas? And he's like, yeah, it's good. So Merry Christmas. Thank you, Troy, for not helping me to embarrass myself. Anyways, thank you guys for joining us. It's so good to be worshiping with you. It's good to be uh, singing songs of our Savior, and I, I hope that uh, my, my desire is that you wouldn't just come and sing songs, but that you would actually think through the words that we're saying um, and just and, and worship, worship our King. Um, before we get started, though, I do want to just, I want to just take a moment to acknowledge one thing um, for our church family, for, for those of you that are worshiping with us online, uh, for those of you that are here today. Um, I know that this season is a mixed bag for some people, right? There's joy and, and there's also sorrow. And the two can go hand in hand. <laughs> we don't need to squish sorrow with joy, uh, and we don't need to have sorrow kind of like just rob us of joy either. The two can go hand in hand, but it's still, it's hard. It's been a hard few years. Um, some of you have lost loved ones, even in the past 12 months, even in the past like month, I think we've had two or three deaths at least in our church family. There's a, another one that's, someone let us, dropped us a note saying, doesn't think mom's gonna make it too much longer. Friend of ours just had a, uh, her sister had a car accident yesterday. I mean, it's hard. Christmas can be hard, right? And it's okay to acknowledge that. So I just wanted to acknowledge that uh, for some of you here today that, um, that the holidays are a mixed bag. And I just want to say thank you for taking the courageous step of coming in because uh, I know that that's hard, being surrounded by what seems like a bunch of people that are full of joy, right? Um, that can be hard. Um, it's not true, by the way, but that can be hard, that perception. So thank you for taking that courageous step. And if you're worshiping online with us, same thing. Um, even tuning in online, that, that can, that's a, it's a step of bravery. So I recognize that. Um, and to that end, let me, let me start with a word of prayer, uh, and then we're gonna spend some time in God's word today. Father, I, I thank you that there's nothing that surprises you. There's, there's nothing. You are in complete control at all times. And we rest in that. And for my friends, my, my brothers and sisters here, my church family, my brothers and sisters in Christ that are maybe just going through a hard time, that Christmas kind of conjures up some pain. And yet there's also joy as well. I ask that you would meet them. I ask that you'd meet all of us and just write our hearts. Not that our hearts are wrong, but get our hearts focused on you. Meet us in these pain, meet us in these valleys. Help us to have our eyes locked in on you and just hear your voice, hear the words that you have for us because you are a loving father. We know that about you. And now we need your love more, more than ever. There's certain seasons of life we need that. We depend upon that. So I ask for each and every one of us that maybe that need that, that you would just make yourself known in, in a real and very specific way as a tender father would. You don't give bad gifts. We know that. And now as we, as we shift, we start to move into, we, we just sang these beautiful songs, worshiping our king. Now we're gonna just look at, look at your word, all that your word has to say about Jesus, Jesus, the son of God. So to that end, may you ready our hearts for what you have for us. Use this as an offering to you and help us to continue to grow in our faith and understanding of who you are. For your glory, we ask these things. Amen. 
So for the past few weeks, if you've been worshiping with us, uh, if, if this is your first Sunday, welcome. Uh, we've been spending time in Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. Uh, looking at the names of Jesus. And we're gonna kind of, we're gonna continue that forward. I know Advent, right? The Advent season's over. Christmas happened, I get it. Uh, but we're gonna still continue looking at, at the names of Jesus just for these next two Sundays. Um, today, we're gonna continue in that endeavor. And as you recall, in Isaiah 9, six through seven, the text says, it says, for to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this day forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That's the text that we've been in. We've been talking through these various names as wonderful counselor, mighty of God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And as you as you remember, as if you don't know, these are all referring to Jesus. That's, that's who this text is referring to. This text written hundreds of years ago, you know, before us thousands of years ago, pointing forward to who Jesus is. Jesus is a child that was born, the son that was given. That's what Isaiah tells us. So Jesus is that, is that child born. Jesus is that son given. That's who Jesus is. And regarding this son, really Isaiah, he, is, he ascribes or he kind of infers, infers three titles of Jesus as son. It says he is born. That is, he took on flesh. So we can say Jesus is the son of man. And John 1 and Hebrews 1, we see that Jesus is the divine and final revelation of God when he took on flesh and became the son of man. Isaiah, in Isaiah's text, so we can also see that he is mighty God. It says that he's everlasting. It says that he is a prince. And that is, he is the son of God. So this son is son of man. He's son of God. He's as an eternal member of the Trinity. He is the son of God, co-equal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And third, we can see in this text that he sits on the throne of David and over his kingdom. So he is the son of David as well. As the long expected Messiah, we can call him son of David. And this has connections back to God's covenant with David in 2 Samuel. It connects with the prophecies here in Isaiah and Jeremiah and elsewhere throughout the Old Testament. Jesus comes and fulfills these prophecies that there'd be one day there'd be a shoot or there'd be a branch of Jesse sitting on the throne that would come and rescue God's people. And this shoot is Jesus, the son of David. So this is all wrapped up in who Jesus is. When we say Jesus is the son, when when we say Jesus is God the son, there's like all these like legs to what does it mean for Jesus to be God the son? What does it mean for Jesus to be son? And man, there are some really great texts. There are some awesome texts in the Bible that help us understand it. We could be, we could look at Philippians 2. It talks about the humiliation and the exaltation of Jesus. We could look at Colossians 1, which we've had read for us this morning, that describes Jesus over creation and then over recreation. There's John 1, which contains some of the most amazing scripture about God's incarnate word, Jesus, that has come and tabernacled with us. Just amazing text about this son. We call Jesus the son. That's what we're looking at today. 
And for us, I want us to look specifically at Hebrews chapters one and two. We're gonna look at both chapters today. I'm hoping that you have a Bible with you. Uh, if not, maybe a device or something. If you do, you're gonna wanna start thumbing there now. Hebrews is in the New Testament. It comes after, uh, there's the Gospels, there's Acts, there's the Pauline letters, and then right, you know, Philemon is the last one, and then right, right to Hebrews, right after that. So that's where Hebrews is in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, man, we would love to give you one. They're at the Welcome Center. You can just go and grab one. Um, they're your gift. You don't have to return them. Keep them. They're for you. I just want to encourage you to be in your Bible regularly. Be in your Bible. Bring it with you. Take notes. Thumb through it. Be familiar. Be intimate with this word of God given to you. Get to know God, your Father. If you've ever read the Old Testament and perhaps you were wondering like, what, what is going on here? <laughs> Why is the Old Testament so important? Or maybe you've said something like, boy, God of, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament seem like two completely different gods. Maybe some of you have thought that or maybe you've heard people say that before. Let me just encourage you that this week, if you have some time, which you probably all have time because there's at least, most of us will have at least one more day off, right? New Year's is coming up. Um, and if not, I'm sorry that I just poured salt in the wound. Um, <laughs> Saturday is coming. <laughs> we one of those, I'm sure. Maybe even today, who knows? Take like 30 minutes and read through the book of Hebrews. Like, don't stop. Just, just read. Through. I mean, stop as God leads. Take notes. Sure, absolutely. But like, don't stop to go like watch TV or something. Read through the whole book of Hebrews. It is, I mean, I'm biased. It's my favorite book in the New Testament. The reason why I love it is just, it is so rich. It helps us understand all the, like not all the prophecies, but the prophecies of the Old Testament makes those clear for us. Helps us understand who Jesus is. It helps, it shines light on Melchizedek. I mean, that's awesome. Melchizedek. Three times in the Bible that name is mentioned. Hebrews helps us understand. It makes clear what the atonement is. It paints a picture of true rest, not ceasing from work, but remaining in your faith, rest. And encourage us to stick to God's word and to continue to grow in our knowledge of him. It's a word that's active, sharper than a double-edged sword. Man, it is, it's an awesome book, read it. Letter, it's actually a letter. It's a letter from a pastor to his people. We call them books, um, and, and really so, I understand why, but it's, it's, it's a letter. It's a letter that a caring pastor wrote to his people. And now you get to read that letter. And here in the first few chapters, one and two, it tells us a lot about who the son is. So we're gonna read that. I'm gonna read all of it as well. <laughs> so I hope you have a Bible with you. And if not, just let God's word just wash over you. Listen to these words. Long ago and many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. 
For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he said, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain they will all wear out like a garment, like, like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until my enemies become a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, listen to this verse. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Now, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little, little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we have seen him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. And just so we are all clear who the author is referring to, he says, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that, that he for whom and by whom all things exist and bringing many sons and daughters to glory shall make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers or sisters, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. 
Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And this is the word of God. Man, I wish we had all day. In fact, we do. There's no second service. <laughs> Sorry, guys. There's no stop. You can just turn that clock off back there. We're staying. Pizza comes at noon. We'll probably be in verse four at that point. It is a rich, oh man, it is a rich. The first four verses, man, scholars ponder, ponder those verses, radiance of the Father, the exact essence of his being. We don't know who the author is of this letter. We don't, there's, there's, there's lots of options out there that people kind of uh, maybe debate about, but we don't ultimately know. Uh, what, what stands out is the author's use of the Old Testament, specifically he uses the Septuagint, it's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. He uses that frequently. And you saw in these verses, I mean, like he just, he has no problem picking up the Old Testament, just applying it to Jesus, just in case we don't know. <laughs> he just makes that clear for us. It's predominantly a Jewish audience that he's writing to, but what really stands out, what, what really like just, what is highlighted is this pastor's care for his people. Over and over, he'll tell them, stick to biblical truth and continue to grow in your faith. Now, I do wanna just, this is like a side tangent because I, I don't know if anybody got a little confused. We've mentioned angels a lot there. Uh, and I just, I feel like I need to at least address that <laughs> before we talk about the sun. It'll be just a quick little explanation here. Um, this connects with Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse two, and then following. Um, if you have a pen, write that one down. And then Stephen in Acts actually picks this up for us in verses 38 and 53. And what we see is that when Moses is on Mount Sinai receiving the, like, the law from God, it still comes from God. It's the angels, it's the angels who are kind of, who are giving it to him. So when, the, when this author is talking about like all the work that the angels did, like they're ministering the law, like they're the ones kind of, I don't know how it worked. Like, if, was it like, here you go kind of thing? I mean, we don't know, but the text tells us that it's like a host of angels that are there with Moses on that mountain. So that's why the author is saying like, listen, Jesus is better than those angels. That's what he's saying in these first two chapters. He goes on throughout the rest of the book, helping his, his audience and, and us today understand who Jesus is and why it's important. And here in these first two chapters, I mean, there are at least, and really at least, because I don't know if I did a thorough job, at least 40, yes, 40 ways that Jesus' sonship is talked about. We're not gonna go through all of them today, I promise. It wouldn't be fair. I mean, like we could sit in verse one and two for hours pondering. But to be clear, the author of Hebrews tells us that this son is Jesus. You heard it there in chapter two, verse nine, namely Jesus. So let me just clear the air here, everyone. <laughs> We're talking about Jesus. Jesus is the son. So what does it mean for Jesus to be son? Well, first we have to ask, what does it mean? What, the, what does son even mean? Like, that's a helpful question. Sonship language in biblical times was incredibly 
important. It's incredible. It's an identity marker. It's, it's not a name. Like, it's not like, hey, there's, that's, that's Jesus, like, son of God. That's his name. Like, that's not it. Like, no, that's like, that's an absolute identity marker. It is who he is. It's a statement of being. And if you like philosophical words, it's an ontological statement. It's, it's who he is. Like, it's, it's, it's him. This is often what stirred the crowds when Jesus would speak. He would refer to himself as the son. Basically, he was blaspheming according to them, right? He's like, well, you can't say son. That means you're God. He had no problem doing it, though. Throughout the book of Hebrews, these three son titles alluded to in, in Isaiah 9, the son of David, the son of God, and the son of man, they're discussed. Each of these has specific significance, specific significance, and our redemptive history and God's plan for redeeming his people. All three of these, when we think about Jesus as son, understanding Jesus as the son of David, the son of God, and the son of man are incredibly important. And when we, when we say he's the son, we need to understand what each of these mean. And specific detail here in one and two, he'll tell us about Jesus, the son of God and son of man. Jesus, the son of David, is it's a little more inferred. So we're gonna actually start there first. It's kind of an assumed title. So first, what does it mean for Jesus to be son of David? The son of David is a messianic title of utmost importance for these Jewish believers. And his earthly ministry, I think he was at least twice, maybe three times, but I do twice in the gospels, we see Jesus actually being called the son of David. Somebody would seem to be like, are you the son of David? Are you the Messiah? Are you the, the, the shoot of Jesse, the son who would sit on the throne of David once and for all from the tribe of Judah for hundreds of years? They've been waiting for this person. Are you, are you him? That's what they're asking. And that's what we see. That's who Jesus is. He is that man. He is that shoot. When Jesus assumes this role and title, it means that Jesus is the long expected Messiah. Only the Messiah, the, the Christ, we say Jesus Christ, that means Messiah. Only the Messiah can come and rescue his people. Now, the rescue looked a little different, didn't it? If you're familiar with the New Testament, it, it looked a little bit different than what the people hoped for. In his first coming, Jesus didn't exactly overthrow kingdoms and wage war against his enemies overtly as the Jewish people were hoping for. For sure, he did some of that. Some of the miracles he performed, I mean, you, got, you, you bet he was pushed back the gates of hell. He started, I mean, he, he marked his territory, absolutely. But it wasn't that, like, that overarching, like conquering king that they were waiting for. The author of Hebrews tells us in 2.8, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. So instead of this conquering king, the Messiah came to lay down his life and as such, not everything is, is fixed yet. Not everything is fully recreated and, and fully submissive. Sin still runs rampant in our world. There's still pain and suffering. But this messianic title is nonetheless incredibly, incredibly important because only the Messiah, the, the son of David, can rescue his people. You see, the Messiah is the only one who can fill three important roles. He was to take up the office of prophet, priest, and king. 
So when the Messiah comes, that's who he's gonna be. He's gonna be the prophet, he's gonna be a priest, and he's gonna be a king. And no one yet had been all three. There were a few kings for sure that tried to be prophets and perhaps may have performed a couple priestly duties, but no one has ever been a prophet, priest, and king. Only the Messiah can do that. And here in our text, we see that Jesus fulfills all three of these offices and is assumed to be the long-awaited Messiah. In verse one, we're told that God spoke throughout through the prophets previously, but now he speaks to us through his son. He is the, the new and even more fuller understanding of being a prophet. He's, he's God's very word revealed to us. A, a better and, and more full revelation of who God is than what any of the prophets could offer. They, they were limited, right? They're, they're human beings. They're, they're led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit somehow is like indwelling them and leading them, right? There's, there's something going on there. The Holy Spirit's leading them to pen these words. We can trust our Bible as the word of God, but Jesus is like, is like the word of God, like revealed. They're telling, him, they're telling them about God and Jesus is like, I am God. I am the full revelation. He's God's word revealed. Second, we see in 2.17, it says that he became a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. He's the long-awaited high priest who would make the sacrifice that God's people needed, the once and for all sacrifice. And later in Hebrews, we see that this new priest, with this new priest, there's a new law. The, out, the old becomes outdated. He's, he's bringing in a new law, a law of grace and of saving faith. And third, in verse three, we see Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. His throne is forever and ever, it says in, in verse one, chapter one, eight. He sits at the right hand of God in one thirteen, and the enemies will be his footstool again in one thirteen. This is all royalty language. All of this is royalty language pointing to Jesus as the king. And when it says that he sat down, it means his work is finished. It's complete. Jesus the, the God's son is the long anticipated Messiah. He is the prophet, priest, and king. And as the son of David, he is the promised Messiah from the root of Jesse that was foretold several times in the Old Testament, including just a few chapters after Isaiah 9. And in Isaiah 11, it says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. This Messiah is repeatedly prophesied about throughout the whole Old Testament. Here in these first two chapters, we see these Old Testament texts are just like, just being ascribed to him. This is, this is him. He fulfills all these prophecies. This role as Messiah is incredibly important in Jesus' redemptive work. We, we, we need the Messiah to come and rescue us. This is our Jesus Messiah, Jesus Christ, the son of David that we profess every Sunday and I hope every day, every moment of your life, as long as you have breath in your lungs. Being his sonness, like being the son, didn't stop at just being the Messiah. In these two chapters, we see evidence of the other two as well. Jesus as the son of God, 100% God, and the son of man, 100% man. So let's take a look at son of God. When we say that Jesus is the son of God, our cultural and contextual understanding really, it just, it limits us. There's like a limiting factor that happens. When we refer to somebody as a son, perhaps we think of somebody who's maybe just a little bit lower, 
We don't think that like a son and a father is equals, right? We're like father, son. That, that's not what's happening here. As I stated earlier, being called the son is it's an identity marker. That's, it's so incredibly important that you know that and that you hear that. Here in saying that he is the son of God is akin to saying he is God. Here in Hebrews 1, the text doesn't waste any time getting there. It says that God has spoken, that is, he has revealed himself by his son, who is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. These first four verses, as I said, they're just rich in meaning. Some of the most loaded in scripture. Listen to this. God is revealed to us through his son. This is what the text is saying. God is revealed to us through his son. Maybe better, God our father, who is spirit, who when he descends on the mountain to give Moses the law during the Exodus, we see that the mountain shakes, there's thunder, there's loud trumpets. People at the foot of the mountain are just full of fear and awe at his very presence. In his presence, people die because of his holiness and our sinfulness. This God, the Father, has now revealed himself to us. He has taken on on flesh and become a man such that our eyes can now be fixed upon the revelation. He has made himself known to us through his Son, This is why John in his letter calls Jesus the word because words reveal. So he's revealing who the father is. He and the father are one. There's there's one God. We are monotheistic. We believe in one God, but it's triune, the father and son and Holy Spirit. The prophets and, and poets and authors of the Old Testament previously reveal God to us through the written word, like through divine revelation. But now we see God revealed in the son, Jesus. And if there's any question as to how do we know if Jesus is, was God or not, he continues, he is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. The NIV text, if you have that, says, the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. It's probably a little bit of a it's like better translation, that word there. A better word, even more so, is essence. Or as Grant Osborne, professor, New Testament scholars, says, substance. And here, Grant Osborne adds, and I'm hoping we have the quote. I know we had some power issues. We'll see what happens here. But here, Osborne adds, Christ embodies in himself all that God is. It connotes not only that the son shares the very being of God, but that everything that makes God to be God, his true essence is inherited in the son as well. These two descriptions, the radiance of glory, imprint of essence are ontological. It's it's who he is. And at the same time, it's functional what he does. For the son is portrayed as acting as God's regent on earth, his very presence in this world. So as you look at this text, don't run too quickly past these verses. We can see God in the radiance of his glory through his exact imprint, the exact essence, his son. There are at least two other verses. I mean, there's, there's several other that really help us understand Jesus as the 